0: To your Property Podcast. Today is the 23rd of July 2020 and my name is Michelle Cairns, your host for today. And with us we have Daniel Madge. Hi Daniel. Hi. Welcome and thanks for coming along. So no Dan, you are your property developer and managing director of Life Property Group. Um, here today to talk to us a bit about your journey and also some of the development projects that you have been doing Um, you have an article in the September magazine issue of YPN so we've just thought we'd record this podcast for people who either would like to know more about you or have read the article and uh, to link it to that so we can get a feel for your journey so do you want to give us a quick overview about yourself and how you moved from being an investor to a property developer
1: yeah, my background started originally in the health and fitness industry. So I was kind of a personal trainer, fitness instructor, uh, opened my own gym facility back in 2005 uh, and then was involved in the health and fitness industry for quite a while and then started buying a property of tours, a bit of a, a pension pot, portfolio on the side just to have a bit of security as the years were going on and, and a retirement package when I finished. Um, so, I started buying those with with a gentleman that worked for me, um, and we built up a, a small portfolio. Then, when the recession hit in kind of two thousand and eight two thousand and nine, uh, the gym industry was was quite affected by mass redundancies and people not having uh, spare income to spend on gym memberships who have just been laid off, etc so we, we, we were impacted considerably for that. so then I thought, well, is this the career that I want to be in for the rest of my life? Uh, is the health and fitness industry?" Uh, ticking the boxes for me anymore and obviously I enjoyed the property journey of building up a few rentals doing a little bit of work and I'm adding a little bit of value and decided at that point to to go into property full-time um, so a uh, bit of a strange time to go full-time into property during the recession <laughs> but um, that was probably some of the best property deals that we, we ever bought um, so it was a great time to get in and looking back in hindsight um, so, at that point, I went full-time into property. Uh, I found some private investors uh, that, that were putting the money in. I was finding properties and, and renovating them and sorting out start to finish with that. And then we, we kind of split profits and, and did various different uh, structures on deals to, to grow, uh, buying refurbs during a tough time. So, we had to make sure we were getting great deals. But I was using those spare funds to, to build up a rental portfolio then and uh, built up quite a a tidy size rental portfolio from doing that. And then our renovations started getting bigger and and better and nicer properties in in better areas and higher end stuff. And then uh, that led us to the odd property where we'd buy, we'd have a very large garden. So then we'd we'd get a plot in the garden and maybe build a property and sell it. And then as that developed and and the journey evolved, we went more towards the uh, new build uh, development side of things. Um, And that's grown quite rapidly over the last three or four years. Uh, We've done quite a few few developments now. And I've got probably a pipeline to be looking to build about 50, 60 houses next year. Uh, And probably the year after, we'll be looking at at a target of about 80 to 90 uh, houses and and units. So we're doing private development sites in, in nice areas. And then we're partnering also with housing associations to do uh, turnkey and package deals for them just to balance our uh, security and risk so yeah we've got about three or four sites on the go at the moment uh, and a shortly due to start another couple as well so we're really busy so that's that's basically a bit of a snippet of the start finish journey over the last kind of 15 years really
0: wow well what an inspiring journey
1: <laughs> you <laughs> Try, say it yeah. very casually but you
0: know to, to go from, you know, starting out as the employee and then just buying some on the side to, you know, the big developments you're doing now. And, you know, you kind of throw these numbers away, 50, 60 units. <laughs> it? it's, um, it's quite an achievement. It's quite a journey. so it's,
1: I, w- I uh, wasn't great before I got involved. In
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, I'm guessing that you've chosen that route of new builds and development because it's more lucrative um, but obviously that comes with a risk as well how have you managed to kind of you know just balance that, that out and um, kind of sounds to me like you've gone bigger and better each time
1: yeah, yeah. I've balanced a bit of risk. My, my business partner is a solicitor, so that helps balance a, a legal risk. And obviously he's seen the ups and downs and, and good and bad things of, of the legal process that trips people up. So we, kind of, uh, we make sure that we're risk tested from a legal standpoint, which is probably one of the most important things. We've then surrounded ourselves with quite a good team. So a consultant that comes in and helps me uh, be a couple of days a week, two or three days a week is is ex-managing director of Charles Church uh, and was a land director with Persimmon Homes for a long time. So he's been uh, been there, done it and, and got the t-shirt in, in most eventualities from a development standpoint. So that kind of de-risks things to know that you've got that experience around you. Uh, we've got a few other team members that are experienced in, in the property sector, so I've built up my knowledge and learned from people that have been there and done it rather than making the mistakes in my journey as we go along. And then we've also tried to balance risk within two profiles, really. One, the private development side of things by doing maybe three developments from a private sector point of view in different areas, maybe slightly different house types, different target markets so that we're balancing risk within that. So if a recession came along quite stress tested on our, on our viabilities on these details so we can afford to reduce properties below the market value by 10-15%, still sell and, and make a profit and not be stuck with any potential recessions or downturns that may come as a result of the pandemic and, and and job losses. And then also we balance the other side where we try and do two or three housing association projects as well, which is Welsh Government funded. Um, So that kind of de-risks is basically guaranteed government money once we enter into contract. And then uh, the the two balance each other as well. So we're having income from, in a pandemic now, the housing associations have gone busier. They've got more access to grants. They've got COVID-19 grants to try and house homeless and and keep the homeless off the streets. So they're getting busier. So they're putting more pressure on us to do more deals. So we're kind of balancing the two side of things to make sure that we're, we're quite secure and quite risk averse.
0: Yeah, well, that sounds like the type of pressure you want, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. More deals they can give us, a better.
0: Absolutely, quality problems. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we're keen to know a bit more about this Pembrokeshire project. Do you want to tell us a bit about it and start from you know the beginning of how did you find it? How did you acquire it? The sort of setup structure?
1: Yeah, so this property deal was actually bought to us by a, a sourcer. So we, we quite commonly have uh, sourcing agents bring uh, land deals and, and property deals to us um, because we're, we're happy to pay good sourcing fees. If we get good deals, then it's only right that, that they get money for bringing it to us. So I think it was a gentleman that used to holiday down down at this location. So this site up for sale, liked the looks of it, thought it was a great location, had uh, been on the market a little while. Uh, he brought it to us and said, look, this is on market. We, we didn't mind that as long as the, the margins worked well for us. So it was on market. He brought it to us. Uh, originally, the, the landowner's expectations were, were excessive. I think originally he wanted £450,000 for this site. Um, we uh, kept it on our files, put an offer forward based on our viability, which which our numbers as a land value came back around 200000 Uh, So it was quite a difference from from what he was expecting. So we just put that offer forward. It was obviously declined initially. We just kept on revisiting that each month, Um, kept on letting him know we were there, our offer was there. Did he want any more discussions? Eventually we said, well, look, you haven't sold it. Do you want to arrange a meeting with us? Uh, We'll sit down, we'll bring our figures along, show you what the land value is is at. Um, And he was an accountant, so he actually understood numbers, spreadsheets, when we actually showed him step-by-step of what things were worth when they would sell and what the development process was and of costs involved, he understood it.
0: Yeah. And he said, "Well, go on, sorry. Go on, sorry. I just think it's a really important point that especially in land deals where the owners, uh, you know, have this perception of their land being worth a lot more and they don't understand that step-by-step process. So for you to be able to sit down with him and actually explain it, I'm sure that really, you know sealed the deal which obviously it did but on the outside someone might look at that and say okay we well, got it you know you acquired it 50 percent below the market value or but it was never the market value was it
1: yeah no oh, no it's just an and invented number <laughs> yeah they, they've got they've got perceived and it's usually a million pound or whatever the, the figure that would make them a millionaire is and a lot of the time the they've got no development experience, they've got no idea of what it costs to build something or what's involved of, of the journey. And they've just their expectations are unrealistic and sometimes they're not helped by land agents or state agents. You tend to find the state agents sometimes will sell land and they're not that experienced of development. So they're just going along with what the vendor's telling them rather than assessing a land deal properly. So yeah, the penny it seems like the penny instantly dropped with them once we run through a step by step transparent viability assessment on it and say, well, this is how we've arrived at this figure. And if, if, if you feel you can do it yourself, then by all means, go away and do it. But this is the journey that's involved and it's, it's not an easy one. Um, and it can be pressured and stressful and a lot to organize and do. But I think he appreciated and respected that. And he said 250, we, we, we negotiate a little bit, but realize that we could maybe pinch a little bit from, from here and there, and give him an increased land value of 250. Um, and what we managed to do is, is in that area, it's, it's a national park, so it was for every one house you build, you've got to build a housing association house. Uh, we managed to, to renegotiate uh, the prices with the housing association to get increased value on it, which then increased the, the, the ability to increase the land amount, but also give us more profit in the deal which actually made the deal stack then, which is probably why other developers weren't managing to get it to work. Um, but it's actually transpired now that because of the quality that we've done the houses, that are overlooking the beach and they're, they're, they're in a real popular location. Our GDV has probably increased by about 150,000 across the, the two private sale houses. So across the housing association, we managed to get about £70,000 extra per unit there. Um, so across the whole site, we managed to get our GDV, Increased by about two hundred and fifty thousand pound, which right. is is great. Yeah. But they don't all happen like <laughs> that. But they, but we're not complaining when they do happen. Uh,
0: absolutely, no. It's um, yeah. I, just going back to what you were saying before about um, you know, these stacking this deal and and, and talking him through that. You know that that discount there um, sounds like. So, okay, it started at 400000 Someone's brought it to you. To me, if it was me, I would have thought you would have looked at it and said, that's way off and it's going to be too much hassle to try and get the landowner to see Yeah. what it's really worth. So, yeah. because I imagine you look at sites all day long. So how do you know which ones to kind of persevere with?
1: Well, in that instance, we, we knew that it had been on the market for a long time. We knew that it wasn't selling. We know it's a popular area and developers like the area. So if it had been the right kind of money, it would have would have gone. Right. So we knew to persevere with it because uh, we, we thought his expectations in time would, would change, which they did. And then we find that if you just reinforce that offer with people over and over again, eventually the, the, the penny drops or – you just get to a point where they sell it to somebody else and you, and you put your lead in, in, in the bin and, and move on to the next one. But where we're quite strong is that obviously with with uh, with a consultant in the office with us, that's an ex-land director with, with a national house builder, he's used to day-in, day-out assessing deals and saying yes or no. So whereas we might get 10 opportunities a week, probably 99% of those will go in the bin or we will put them in a pile to to reinforce and go back to in... In a month or six months time but it's, it's that skill really of quickly assessing the deal will it work will it not doing a basic appraisal and if it doesn't work just chuck it in the bin and move on to the next one uh, or see if there's any value that we can add through experience uh, and if there is keep it and just try and shape a different opportunity
0: okay um could you sort of give us an idea of some of the costs involved because you know on a project like this it's not just as simple as okay, we've got a bit of land. Let's, let's just go and build some houses, right? You've got, yeah. you know, the utilities. You've got the planning. You've got some of the costs that perhaps people don't always take into account. Um, have you got any on, off the top of your head? Put you on the spot here.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, put me right in the spot there. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, yeah, we 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 paid two hundred and fifty thousand pounds for the land. Uh, We paid, I think, a 2% sourcing fee to the agent, uh, uh, to the land sourcer that brought the the property to us. Um, So that's 5%. Uh, We paid about £1,000 in legal fees to to do the transaction. I think uh, it was about £1,000 in stamp duty. Um, So that was pretty much our in costs from a a land acquisition point of view. Uh, From a build cost perspective, uh, there was four properties: two housing association, a pair semi-detached, and two then larger detached houses, which were about fourteen hundred square foot each. Um, and then it had a, a small shed, driveway, tarmac, uh, porous road, and then external works. So I think the external works and the house builds were were, were around about six hundred and fifty thousand with, with a contract with a main contractor to to a building company. Um, we usually allow on, on a new build property like that, where we've specified and done everything properly about a 3% contingency. Uh, we're probably going to use some of that contingency because when we were going through the project, we decided to spec some of the, the property just because of the values were increasing considerably. Um, so we felt we'd get our value back tenfold by, by spending a bit more in certain areas. Uh, so we did that. Uh, usually professional fees, Dependent on the size of the project, we usually allow roughly about 3% on professional fees. So that usually includes architect, uh, drawings, quantity surveyor, uh, engineering, um, M&E design, any any sort of professional cost that we need, we usually allow about 3% of our cost. So... Uh, we didn't need as much on this because it already had an outline planning position, uh, permission and, and a load of architects drawing duns already, so we saved a bit there. Um, we spent about £3,000 on uh, CGI's, computer graphic images, so that we could pre-market the properties prior to them being finished. Um, but they, they're worth their weight in gold because they, they they really sell the properties and the outlook and, and the quality that somebody's going to get. Um, we uh, we had to do an archaeology brief is unusual for, 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 for that but that area is, is high Roman and uh, ruins etc okay so we do have a watching brief with an archaeologist that cost us a couple of thousand pounds
0: it held your breath when that when that came out
1: right <laughs> one or two ways you're either waiting there for the gold coin that could be worth yeah. uh, a fortune, <laughs> yeah. or you're hoping they don't find anything yeah. so you can carry on building but uh luckily enough that came back that came back fine right. um <laughs> And then uh, we overset our finance costs then. So uh, we, we work with a number of different banks and, and we were quite fortunate in that our finance rates were quite reasonable. So we were paying about 4% above base uh, with about 1.2 in and about 1% of cost out. Um, so finance costs over the project I would think would be about 45000 probably. Um, and then we've probably got a GDV of a 1.4, I would think, 1.4, 1.5, uh, depending on, on, on the final values. Uh, we're getting quite a lot of interest in them. We put them on last week. Um, we've had a lot of, lot of interest, so we, we anticipate they'll go over and above asking price.
0: So are they, what stage are you up to? Have you, have you finished them all now?
1: No, we're probably about three weeks off full completion on site. Um, we've finished and handed over the two housing association units. Um, we um just final snagging uh, one of the plots uh, so that the, the painters are there just touching up today and, and cleaners are there just cleaning stuff out and, and doing the final uh, touches so that viewings can take place there tomorrow. Uh, we've got three viewings in that house tomorrow. Um, and then uh, the final plot will be finished in about three weeks' time.
0: Okay. And... Uh, what about so you've obviously been doing this through lockdown? How's that affected you know the uh, the project?
1: Yeah, it's probably delayed us a couple of months, um, just purely because some of the, the the staff members of the construction company were were, were shielded in. Um, some of them had uh, people with health conditions in their household or, or pregnant uh, wives, so some of those made the decision to to not work. Um, so that was difficult. Um, the construction site did did still carry on, so that was really good. Uh, materials were obviously uh, impacted, um, and it's, it's little things you don't see, like plaster was fine for us. We, we were still managing to get pallets of plaster and stuff because of, of the relationship with suppliers, etc. But it's things like we, we, we were clad in some of the properties in, in, in a Z-clad tile effect, outdoor rustic tile effect. Well, that's Chinese uh, manufactured, mm-hmm. obviously, China got locked down prior to us. Then shipping between China and, and the UK has, has been disturbed. And then obviously the, there's arguments between the UK and the Chinese government at the moment. So that's impacting on speed of probably release of Chinese goods over here. So it's things like that where all the UK distributors have, have run out of this product uh, and we're literally waiting on a container to come over from, from Spain, to, uh, from uh, China to be able to uh, get, get and finish off some of the walls and the external bits uh, I know glass has been another one, a lot of the glass factories closed down nationwide so then we're struggling to get glass balconies and, and glass balustrades for, for the staircases and things like that so yeah uh, it has impacted us by a couple of months not as bad as it could have been and I think there's been people that have closed sites completely and, and has obviously impacted their timelines massively, but we, we've been reasonably fortunate.
0: So what's been your role? Because are you Am I right in thinking you're located in a different part of the country? <laughs> so Say it again, sorry. You're, are you located different part of the country?
1: Um, not too bad. I'm That's, probably about an hour and a half away from, okay. from that site. Right. Um, so it's, I've been down there a couple of times this week, just pushing the completion. Right. So it's not... It's not uh, it's not insurmountable, but it is. Uh, we 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 try and minimise our input by uh, contracting to a main contractor and uh, and, and the contract uh, under a JCT or, or, or an RIBA architects contract, so that uh, we've got certainty that construction problems are almost down to them uh, to, to resolve and sort out. So again, that provides us another layer of 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 risk to removed, so that if boys can't come in or can't show up, they'll say a problem, yeah. not always to resolve. But ultimately it, it affects us. So we, we try and help out where we can to make sure that if they struggle with certain materials, we'll, we'll try and jump in and help out to get stuff down to them, et cetera. So it's a bit of a treating them as a team, but removing us having to manage a construction company in-house.
0: Absolutely. So obviously launching your sales in this market at the moment uh, I imagine you're kind of thankful that there's still that pent up demand and you're still in this bubble um for who knows how long but and obviously the stamp duty do you think that will help things um, at
1: the yeah, I think the location that we've built there and obviously the 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 right overlook in the beach so uh, we, we've got a lot of interest already. We've been holding back viewings un, until um, until this week because we, we wanted to make sure things were, were, were more finished. But what we're finding there is that there is pent-up demand from a, from, from a market point of view of people not being able to buy for three months. It tends to be a location where it's, it's very holiday home geared. Um, so a lot of people, Bristol, Cardiff, Newport, or maybe living abroad, want to have a holiday home in this area because it's quite affluent. Um, they tend to be uh, cash purchasers and quite affluent. So we're finding that uh, we're getting a lot of interest. 90% of them are cash buyers. Um, so we anticipate there being being quite a lot of interest and potentially them uh, being a little bit of a close bid scenario in the end where, where it's best and final and we will hopefully get over asking as a result of people really wanting them.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's the ideal, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, perfect.
0: So, have you been in? Have there been any challenges that you've come across that, uh, obviously, apart from the global pandemic?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was that was probably the biggest one that I've ever had to deal with. The the project has gone relatively smooth in that we had ground investigations. We we kind of de-risked the site as much as we could from. from, from a, a build point of view. Um, yes, the pandemic has, has been smack bang in the middle. We managed to get the housing association ones out just as lockdown was hitting, and, and they were keen to complete it. Uh, even though it wasn't 100% finished, they were still happy to, to pay for them because they they wanted to get rid of their money just in case it prolonged past their grant financial year. Um, but so, yeah, it's those delays with contractors, and especially in that holiday home area, This is a very busy time, so your peak summer months of your June, July, August, part of September are peak selling times because of the delay of a couple of months. We're just conscious that we don't want it to roll into September, October time where there's nobody visiting the area, there's people not coming back and forth on there for holidays, etc. So we're keen to not let things run over any more than they are now to make sure that we hit the summer sales season. So that's probably been the biggest challenge is pushing the contractors nicely, but maintaining our quality levels um, to make sure that they're finishing within a summer sales period.
0: Right. Okay. And um, you mentioned before about sort of starting out and working with sources. Um, What sort of criteria are you looking for in other projects or is it Um, set criteria or are you open to looking at anything?
1: We're focusing pretty much solely now on new build developments um, because that, that's probably the, the, the avenue that we're focusing on, on solely. Um, we're probably looking at a minimum of five units uh, because we find that you spend similar amount of time doing a single project with all your consultants and your fees and yeah. uh, than you will doing five or ten probably your fees only increased by 10-15% across your professionals because they're already doing a lot of the work and replicating. Um, so we find scales of economy, which is w- why we've started moving towards bigger sites because we, we find that it's, your build costs will reduce because you, you, you're doing a scale of economy exercise on site from a contracting point of view. Uh, your professional fees don't increase at the rate of the number of units that you've got. So we tend to be kind of, 5 to 10 units up to about 35, 40. Uh, that's our maximum because we stay away below the levels of the likes of the Simmons and Taylor yeah. Wimpy and the bigger house builders won't look at sites under 50. Yeah. So we find that that mid-market of maybe 10 to 40 units isn't that well populated with property developers. Right.
0: Um,
1: so we find in a little bit of a niche. Yeah, you tend to find that you'll have the same two or three people that you come across when you've been mm-hmm. into sites or trying to acquire stuff. Um, but it's not. Whereas when we were renovating houses and those house entrance points were maybe fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 or, or 40,000 in, in Swansea, you'd have a lot of interest. You'd be climbing over people that weren't doing it professionally. They didn't know their the costs. They were buying them in auctions thinking that they knew what they do. And then, when you speak to them, they've overspent by three times what they thought they were going to, and they could have gone down the street and bought something cheaper than going through the hassle of, of renovating and, and pulling the hair out. So, we, yeah, that's our sweet spot. is five to 10 houses up to about 40, probably a site GDV of between 1 and 10 million.
0: Okay, fair enough. And um, for people who are looking to get into development projects like this, um, where you, know, you mentioned before about working with a team, really good team behind you. Um, yeah. You know, from your experience of someone who's grown into this, um, into this role, what advice would you give people starting out?
1: Um, read YPN is probably the first yes. one. <laughs> and then I'd probably say just surround yourself with really knowledgeable, experienced people that have been there and done it. Because in development, mm-hmm. uh, if you make mistakes, they can be very costly. Uh, considerable so I think by having experienced people around you that have been there done it made the mistakes know how to to do everything in the right order and and go through the right investigations and uh, and site surveys and and all the stuff that de-risks a site is get a mentor or get somebody that's experienced or get somebody around you that can handhold you do in that infancy stage that you don't make mistakes save a lot of time and and ultimately you'll make far more money than you pay for for a mentor or a consultant or somebody professionally to support you
0: great okay well i think on that note it's a good place to wrap up but um really appreciate your time and look forward to reading your article in the magazine as well cool so um yeah i think we'll just wrap it up there and (laughs) <laughs> thanks again
1: okay. no thanks a lot for uh, thanks for your time Michelle and thanks for the interview
0: it's good to hear from you Um, yeah. okay so for anyone else who's listening if you do not have a copy of the magazine you're not a subscriber yet please click the link below in the show notes and you can claim your free magazine there and we'll speak to you next time bye
1: yes thanks bye